Hey, this is Dave DeCamp from Antiwar.com, and this is Antiwar News for Friday, September 30th, 2022. First story at the top of Antiwar.com, more money for Ukraine. The Senate approves of the $16 billion in Ukraine aid as part of a stopgap funding bill. So on Thursday, the Senate approved the this funding bill that was needed to avert a government shutdown which includes up to $16 billion in new aid for Ukraine. The legislation passed the Senate in a vote of 70, 72 to 25 and is expected to be passed quickly by the House so it can reach President Biden's desk by Friday night. One provision in the bill is for a $12.3 billion aid package for Ukraine. So this is something I went over a few times. This was expected to be passed. So this $12.3 billion package it includes $4.5 billion in direct budgetary aid for the Ukrainian government. Those are funds that they just hand straight to the government in Kiev to pay for, to fund the government, to pay for government services and things like that. Uh, $2.8 billion for the Pentagon to pay for troop deployments in Eastern Europe. $1.5 billion to replenish U.S. stockpiles to replenish weapons that have been sent to Ukraine. And $3 billion for the Ukraine Security Assistance Initiative, which that allows the U.S. to purchase weapons for Ukraine. The stopgap funding bill, it includes a separate authorization for $3.7 billion in presidential drawdown authority. And that allows President Biden to ship Ukraine weapons directly from U.S. military stockpiles. So this $3.7 billion is on top of the $12.3 billion. Um, and a lot of news outlets didn't report this right. They only mentioned the $12.3 billion, but I got this from Defense News that there was also this $3.7 billion. And this gets a little confusing, so I hope I explain it well. Um, but so far, this presidential drawdown authority, and that's what allows Biden to send Ukraine weapons from U.S. stockpiles. Um, so far, the U.S. has sent Ukraine over $12 billion in weapons using this authority. Um, and Defense News reported that Republicans were pressing Biden to use $2.1 billion in this authority that was left over from the $40 billion Ukraine aid bill that was signed back in May. So that aid package, the $40 billion one, it, had, it has an expiration date of September 30th, of Friday. Um, so these Republican leadership is unhappy that Biden didn't use this $2.1 billion. But responding to the criticism, the Biden administration said that the $2.1 billion was factored into its request for the $3.7 billion, uh, which means that the White House, they asked for an additional $1.6 billion in this authority, and the leftover $2.1 was added to that to bring us to this number, $3.7 billion. But these Republicans, uh, they still weren't happy. Senator James uh Inhofe, the senator from Oklahoma, uh, he uh, thought that the it, they should have approved $5.8 billion. They should have added the 2.1 to the 3.7, give them more weapons. And just to give you an, an idea of what the Republican uh, leadership in, in Congress is, is saying, uh, Senator Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky, he called for the U.S. to provide Ukraine with more tanks, fighting vehicles, longer-range rockets, and artillery, more HIMARS systems, and uh, to start training Ukraine in Western uh, aircraft, in fighter jets. You know, Ukraine wants F-16s and things like that. 
Um, and that's something we might see down the line. So now we'll do a little more math here. So this $12.3 billion aid package plus the new drawdown authority. Now, uh, this brings, because so again, this was passed by the Senate, needs to be passed by the House, and then signed by Biden. It's probably all going to happen on Friday, because if they don't do it by Friday night, uh, they have to shut down uh, some federal government services. So, um, but adding all this together with the $40 billion aid package, with the $13.6 billion that was authorized back in way back in March, that brings the total U.S. spending on the war in Ukraine to $67.5 billion. And to put this figure in perspective, Russia's entire annual military budget for 2021 was $65.9 billion. So it's more than that in less than a year. So I know I've been kind of saying maybe I'm reiterating myself a little too much here. But I just think that's an important point to drive home. It's just such an absurd amount of money that they're spending. And this $12.3 billion, it's only supposed to la- expected to last about three months. And then they're going to be asking for more. Uh, okay, so the next one, just another sign that this war and the U.S. support for it is not ending anytime soon. The Pentagon to set up a new command for arming Ukraine. So this is according to a report from the New York Times. The U.S. is planning to establish a new command base in Germany that will focus entirely on supporting Ukraine in its war against Russia. Establishing the command would be part of the Western effort to support Ukraine in the long term, as there are no signs that the war will be ending anytime soon, at least in the near future. And the command would oversee the arming and training of Ukrainian forces. U.S. officials told the Times that General Christopher Cavoli He's the top U.S. military officer in Europe. Uh, He recently submitted a proposal to Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Defense, on establishing this command. Austin is reviewing the plan and is expected to make a decision in the coming weeks. And the idea is said to be favored by the White House and the Pentagon. So the the command would be led by a high-ranking U.S. general and would carry out decisions made by the Ukraine Defense Contact Group. That's a coalition of 40 countries that was established after Russia's invasion. Lloyd Austin, uh, the former Raytheon lobbyist, uh, no, former Raytheon board member. He was on their board before becoming the Secretary of Defense. Uh, He's led several meetings of this Ukraine defense contact group at the Ramstein Air Base in Germany. And and he's secured more support for Ukraine there. Last time he was there. He just kept saying this word, long haul. We're in this for the long haul, long haul, long haul. You know, it, it's just never going to end, it seems like, uh, was the point he was he was trying to make the last time he chaired one of those meetings. Um, so this command is going to be established in an area where most of the U.S. training of Ukrainian troops have taken place. The U.S. has been training Ukrainian troops in Germany. And the command will also would also oversee other assistance to Ukraine that has been established elsewhere in Europe, including a mission in Poland where U.S. troops help Ukraine maintain weapons remotely. They speak with them through encrypted chats and stuff to help them maintain and fix all this military equipment that they're sending. And from what, what I understand, the U.S. has also been training Ukrainian troops elsewhere in Europe, but those locations have not been disclosed um, so President Biden, you know, he's insisted that no U.S. troops will be sent to Ukraine, but establishing a command solely for the purpose of supporting this war, I would say, is a step in that direction. And now there's no indication yet that 
that they're discussing sending troops to Ukraine. But it's just always important to note that according to the New York Times, there's a CIA presence on the ground, which isn't much of a surprise. But that report also said that um, some U.S. European allies have special operations forces deployed in Ukraine, including the British, who uh, there was other reporting from the Times of London that said British special air service troops are in Ukraine. And this is they're, they're said to be there to, to help facilitate the transfer of weapons and stuff. So I'm not saying, you know, if the U.S. ever does get to the point of sending troops into Ukraine, it would probably be first something like that. Oh, we're sending them there uh, to help with the weapons flow. And members of Congress have been calling for the U.S. to send military advisors to Ukraine. I mean, they're just saying that outright. And, you know, that just reminds you of, how, of Vietnam. That's that's how it started, military advisors. Uh, so it's just such a dangerous, such a slippery slope uh, if this starts happening. Uh, but again, that's just me, uh, you know, kind of speculating a little bit about what this could mean, this command. Um, but it's just not a good sign. All right. So the next one, this is from Kyle Anzalone and Connor Freeman at the Libertarian Institute. NATO is working with the weapons industry to ramp up production. So I discussed this a little bit yesterday, just about how the U.S. and its allies are working to ramp up what they call their defense industrial base, increase production to arm Ukraine. Um, so, But this article from Kyle and Connor, it says that the U.S. and its European allies, they're depleting their armed stockpiles by transferring all these weapons to Ukraine. They're running out of certain weapons. When it comes to the U.S., it's mostly uh, artillery and stuff. According to CNBC, the U.S. has essentially run out of 155 millimeter howitzers to transfer to Ukraine. And the current production capacity for this ammunition falls short of what the White House is seeking to provide Kiev. Suppliers currently produce 30,000 rounds per year, an amount that the Ukrainian army uses in two weeks. That's pretty a pretty incredible statistic there. Um, ramping up production, it's going to take time and money. And... Biden has shown support for all these arms makers. He visited a Lockheed Martin plant back in May. And uh, it's just, again, it's just such a boon for all these, for the arms industry in the, in the U.S. and also Europe. Uh, you know, Lloyd Austin's buddies are making out. Um, but I just want to take a moment to mention our sponsor, How the West Brought War to Ukraine by Benjamin Ablo. It's a book that outlines U.S. and NATO and other Western provocations against Russia and in Ukraine, support for Ukraine, uh, backing uh, regime change in Ukraine, and how that has played a role in uh, the war that we see today. And so the book is $10 on Amazon. Right now, the ebook, the Kindle version, is only $0.99, cents, but that's going to go up to $2.99 soon. So just for a limited time, you can purchase it for $0.99. Cents. So if you haven't bought it already, now is the time to do it. And don't listen to me. I mean, it has Noam Chomsky's endorsing the book on the cover. Chaz Freeman, John F. Matlock, Douglas McGregor, John Mearsheimer, Richard Sakwa. I know Gilbert Doctorow is also in here. So a lot of really important voices, really um, prominent people that that are, are speaking out against this current policy all endorse this book, so you should check it out. And uh, Benjamin Ablo, he he's been doing a lot a lot of interviews promoting the book. We put one in the blog to, uh, at antiwar.com if you want to go check that out. Um, 
but again, how the West brought war to Ukraine. Okay, so back to the news here. Next one, uh, Putin is going to approve the annexation of Ukrainian territories at a ceremony on Friday. So the Kremlin announces at 3 p.m. Moscow time, so only a few hours after this is going to come out. This will happen. He's going to sign a document at this ceremony um, to annex these four territories. And those four territories are Kherson, Zaporizhia, and the breakaway Donbass republics of Donetsk and Luhansk. And this is after the referendums were held on joining Russia in the region. So if you're watching the video, you see the area highlighted in red. Russia is poised to annex, to absorb all that territory. Um, so Putin is signing off on absorbing the territories is the first step towards uh, annexation. Russia's constitutional court will still need to verify that this complies with their law. And it needs to be ratified by Russia's houses of parliament, the State Duma, which is the lower house, and the Federation Council, which is the upper house. The Federation Council is expected to discuss the issue on October 4th. But while there are still these steps, I mean, it's it's certain, pretty, it's all but certain that Ukraine is going to be, uh, sorry, that Russia is going to be absorbing these territories. And the implication there, well, it's not really an implication because Russian officials have said outright that they're going to treat Ukrainian attacks on these territories as attacks on Russian territory. And Ukraine's going to be doing this with U.S. and NATO weapons and intelligence, just risking provocation. Russian officials have said, you know, their territorial integrity could be defended with nuclear weapons. They're saying it's part of their military doctrine that they can use nuclear weapons if this, the there's an existential threat to the state of Russia. So I guess if this territory becomes Russia, they can justify that. If it comes under threat, they could view it as an existential threat. And I think this really just demonstrates how much more important this war is to Russia than it is to the United States. Um, man, it's just not ending and, and so many more people are going to die. It seems like, um, all right, the next one, um, NATO formally labels Nord Stream leaks as sabotage. So NATO on Thursday, they came out and they formally uh, issued a statement calling that the leak, uh, the leaks in the Nord Stream pipelines, saying that they were sabotage and warning that an attack on an ally's critical infrastructure could be met with a response, although the pipelines are owned mainly by Russia. Uh, so NATO's North Atlantic Council said in a press release, quote, all currently available information indicates that this is the result of deliberate, reckless, and irresponsible acts of sabotage. Any deliberate attack against allies' critical infrastructure would be met with a united and determined response, end quote. So it's just an interesting uh, statement, I thought, because they are kind of insinuating that maybe they, they will would take military action over this attack on a Russian pipeline, on two Russian pipelines. Uh, Russia's state gas company, Gazprom, is the sole owner of Nord Stream 2 and is the majority shareholder in Nord Stream 1. Both pipelines connect Russia to Germany, so it is German energy infrastructure. Um, but Nord Stream 2 has never delivered gas to Europe as the project was paused by Berlin after Russia invaded. So also on Thursday, uh, Putin also labeled the incident as sabotage in a phone call with Erdogan, the Turkish president. 
he called it an act of international terrorism. Um, so an unprecedented amount of Russian gas has poured into the Baltic Sea. These pipelines are still leaking. Experts say that this could result in uh, the, the largest ever single release of methane gas. So this is a very big leak. Um, and, and it's still leaking. Danish authorities said that they expect both pipelines to be empty by Sunday. So still a few more days of gas coming out of these pipelines. I mean, it's really unbelievable. And um, so the, both pipelines were not delivering gas at the time. Nord Stream 1, Russia uh, shut that down uh, indefinitely. And Nord Stream 2, again, was never up and running. But there was gas under pressure in both pipelines. So even though Russia has little motive to attack its own pipeline, I mean, I guess you can't rule it out because they do have the capability, but I just don't see any situation where they this would be a good idea for Russia. They have the power to turn these these pipelines on and off, and they were off, and now there's all this Russian gas pouring into the Baltic Sea. I mean, they invested billions into these pipelines. I don't see it. But that doesn't matter because if you look at Western media and comments from Western officials, they're still, you know, saying that Russia is like the, the prime suspect. I mean, that's all these reports in, in, in Western media. Um, and they a lot of them are ignoring this, this Polish member of European Parliament, Radek Sikorsky, who wrote on Twitter, thank you, USA, uh, after the attack with a picture of the leaking gas. And he's since deleted the tweet. Um, but it's pretty significant. You know, you think it would be enough to get people, more people asking questions. Um, but Russia is asking questions and they're expected to ask a lot on Friday when the UN Security Council meets on the issue. Um, Shikorsky, you know, his tweet's not the only reason to suspect that the US could be behind this. And we can't say, there's no way to say right now if the US was behind this or not. Um, there's other possibilities. I mean, other actors in the region. When it comes to how sophisticated the attack is, I'm not sure if, say, Poland would be able to pull it off, but I'm sure, you know, the UK probably could. Um, but the the US um, has has its motives because before the war, Biden said that the US would bring an end to the Nord Stream pipe, Nord Stream Two specifically. That the US was trying to stop this pipeline for years. You know, threatening Germany with sanctions, imposing sanctions on anybody working on the pipeline. They really had it in its sight. So it's just natural to suspect the, the U.S. And they're trying to make it seem like a conspiracy theory in the Western media. Um, but anyway, this is just a big, just such a big story uh, to keep an eye on. I mean, and there's going to be, I think, a ton of misinformation put out by U.S., uh, you know, trying to put put the blame on Russia. Um, so just be vigilant for that. Uh, okay. So the next one here, this is goodish news. Uh, Russia says it's open to in-person talks with the U.S. on the New START Treaty. So the New START Treaty is the last piece of nuclear arms control between the U.S. and Russia. It is due to expire in 2026. Um, so inspections under New START, the treaty, it limits the deployment of warheads, missiles, and bombers. And it has an, an inspection regime, and that has those inspections have been paused since 2020. So they're not uh, implementing the inspections. But according to uh, Russia's foreign ministry, the, there's an ongoing dialogue right now between the U.S. and Russia concerning the resumption of these inspections. So that's 
a good sign, I think, because for a while I didn't think any of these talks were going on. I asked the State Department if they could confirm that there was talks ongoing because nobody else, you know, this is just an issue that people, there's not much coverage of. And the State Department actually usually responds pretty quick, but they don't always give me an answer, but uh, they, I didn't hear back from them today. So I'll probably, uh, maybe I'll follow up next week if I don't see anything. But, uh, you know, if hopefully this this is right, I mean, I don't see why Russia would make up that they're having talks um, and we get this treaty implemented and maybe it could pave the way for more nuclear arms control talks to, to negotiate more treaties, especially with the state of things right now. You know, this dialogue, it's very important. All right. The next one, the U.S. targets Iran's oil exports with new sanctions as the nuclear deal, deal talks stall. So this is just another sign that the, the Iran nuclear deal is not being revived. Uh, the U.S. announced new sanctions on Thursday targeting Iran's oil as exports to East Asia. So the sanctions targeted two Chinese-based firms, and the Treasury Department said they designated several other entities based in Hong Kong, Iran, India, and the UAE. Um, and they're just accused of trading oil with, uh, with Iran. Uh, that, that's it. That's their big, uh, crime. Um, so again, just another bad sign for the talks. Uh, the next one here, this is actually from Reuters. Um, and it's a long investigation, um, about how the CIA failed, uh, Iranian informants in its secret war with Tehran. So it's an interesting read. It's a huge investigation. It's very long, basically just saying how the CIA left all these uh, Iranians hanging that were uh, informants for them inside Iran and, and uh, ended up uh, just kind of betraying them and, and not really um, just leaving them out to dry. Uh, but it's definitely worth worth checking out. All right, the next one here, this is from Kyle Anzalone and Will Porter. At the Libertarian Institute, Kamala Harris delivers fiery speech at the DMZ. North Korea responds with missile test. So Harris is in on the Korean Peninsula, and she visited the demilitarized zone. And um, she you know, delivered some harsh rhetoric against the North. While she was up there, she condemned the government in Pyongyang as a brutal dictatorship, uh, condemned their nuclear weapons program. And she said that the U.S. is committed to defending South Korea with the full range of the U.S. defense capabilities, appearing to reaffirm that South Korea is under Washington's nuclear umbrella. Um, so she has left. Shortly after Harris departed Korea, Pyongyang conducted its third missile test this week. So again, these missile tests have become very regular. Um, so... The next one here from Jason Ditz, a U.S. citizen was killed in a rocket strike in Iraqi Kurdistan. So the State Department said Wednesday that uh, attacks on Iraqi Kurdistan killed an American citizen. Didn't offer any details beyond that. You know, no troops or officials were killed. So it wasn't a U it wasn't U.S. military personnel or anybody working for the U.S. government, it looks like. But the unnamed citizen was one of the 13 people. Um, killed in Iranian attacks along the Iran-Iraq border. Iran accused the targets of fueling unrest within Iran. 
The U.S. shot down an Iranian drone near Erbil at the request of the Iraqi government. So this is just, you know, tensions are high in the region. And they're saying an American citizen was killed. Uh, so it's just it's just an area to keep an eye on because something could always erupt in Iraq with the U.S. being there. 2,500 U.S. troops are still there. Um, the next one, this is a report from the Wall Street Journal, just said that President Biden was advised to declassify uh, the full intelligence report on the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, uh, who was working for the Washington Post, or he was a writer for the Washington Post, and he uh, was killed in in Turkey at the Saudi uh, at the Saudi consulate. Um, so he was advised to release the whole thing, uh, which they haven't. They said that the the intelligence report concluded that uh, MBS was behind it, behind his killing, but they haven't released the whole thing. Um, all right. So that's it for the news for today. That's it for the week, actually. This is the last show of the week. I'll be back after the weekend to catch everybody up on the news. Uh, hopefully not too much craziness happens over the weekend. It seems like there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, but um, you can contact the show at news at antiwar.com. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, if you're listening to the audio version, um, go over to YouTube. You could just subscribe to the channel there. I should promote that channel more. And you could also watch on Odyssey if you don't want to watch on YouTube. Um, but that's it. I'll uh, talk to you after the weekend to catch you up on the news. Uh, thank you for listening. <laughs>